Hey guys, here's something new we'd like to try. We'd like to learn a little bit more about our podcast listeners in order to have better conversations and just find out exactly what you're interested in listening to. And as a reward, we'll give you your own pair of boxes and lined socks, which are very soft and cozy, by the way. I wear them all the time. Just go to the website custom.sockclub.com slash IEX and fill out a very short survey and get your own pair of socks mailed straight to you while supplies last. And they're also free. Again, it's custom.sockclub.com slash IEX. Also, when you do get your lovely socks, tag us in your sock selfies on Twitter and Instagram at IEX. Thanks, guys, and thanks, as always, for listening. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. Take Boxes it, John. Boxes and Lines, welcome. He's getting so good at that. And today we have a special guest. We have our very own Ben Canalt, who's IEX's economist. And we're here today to specifically talk to him about a new series of blogs that he's put out on market data. And we'll get into some of those blogs first, but first, I'd like to introduce Ben. And as always, we'd like to, you know, some interesting tidbits about the guests that we have here. Ben was previously a professor before joining IEX. Ben, welcome. Thank you. Hi, guys. Excited to be on the podcast. Bonjour. Bonjour, monsieur. Oh, oh you told the goes. secret, John. Yeah, I'm <laughs> French. <laughs> yeah. Ben, yeah, ben like is people French. People weren't going to uh, realize that you're French. No, they no, just wouldn't realize no. that you were doing yeah, a French exactly. accent. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. They know Ben's French. The hour. Well, you know, I'm like tired of doing the Irish thing because it's getting a little stale. I need new material. So Okay, this is well, the then great we should have Ben on every week. So let's go again. Welcome, Ben. Ben is French. Thank you. I am. That is right. And it's true. Yeah. So I've been, you know, I've been at IEX two years and I was a professor before that for three years. I came to the U.S. in uh, 10 years ago in 2009. I got a PhD from Princeton in economics. And then I was a ten track faculty at Penn for three years. And I didn't used to do finance. I used to do theoretical econometrics, which is uh, statistics for, you know, economic models. So I had to pick it up here. It's been great. It's been super interesting. And, you know, I haven't, I've never looked back. Jesus, now I'm intimidated. I didn't I know. realize that you had all that. You're making fun of his French accent and the guy's gone to like <laughs> Princeton and thought at Penn. Well, you know, yeah. And we're we're very smart too, jokes, by the but way. That's okay. We're, we're plenty smart too. Yeah, I know you think guys Ronan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, Ronan, I think you're very smart. I think you're very smart too, John. All right. Thanks. Let's gang up on Ben. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Princeton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I turned them down. Anyway, so, you know, listen, we've talked before about market data and it's a hot topic in U.S. market structure. And there's a lot of, you know, recent press on market data. And what Ben has done is he's written a three-part blog that breaks down 10 separate papers or 10 separate events over uh, market structure history. And it's dating back to 1999. So I think, you know, for the most part on this podcast, we'll probably focus on some of the, the, the latest news. But I, I'd like Ben to sort of talk through a little bit the chronology of how long this has been going on, what, what started it, and kind of where we are today, if that makes sense, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think you know, one of the reasons one, why people are looking at that again, I think many people have been looking at that constantly for the past many years, but there was a recent court decision uh, on the personal grounds. All of this is very complicated, and there's a lot of history, and many people have asked me, you know, I want to, this looks interesting. I want to learn about that. Like, where do I go? And I have, I don't think that there is any good, you know, kind of short resource in a few pages that go over the past 20 years. So that's 
what I try to do here. Yeah, the way I think of it, uh, basically, I boil it down to uh, on market data issues, other exchanges bad, IEX good. <laughs> Well, well, Ben Ben's an economist, so he takes a very different view, sort of like straight down the yeah. middle matter of fact, which I, which I think is interesting, right? Yes, that's right. And so, you know, I, I've been wanting to write like sort of a kind of overview for a long time because, again, like people uh, have been asking for it, and I wasn't sure how to do it because it could be very tedious if you are going over all the cold cases and filings, and there's a lot of them. And so, what I ended up doing is pick. 10 uh, economic expert reports that have been filed you know, on both sides of the arguments over the years. And you know, we, the blog goes over those 10 reports and it's an occasion to touch on the major developments on the background as well. So right. two, two things, the, the blog is up now. Where do listeners access the blog? It's iextrading.com and then just choose boxes and lines. Is that correct, Ben? I usually, yeah, I, us I, I usually just Google boxes and lines, and that's the medium blog there that comes up. Okay, so boxes and lines, medium blog, also the name of this phenomenal yeah. podcast. Yeah, and award-winning podcast. Award-winning. We, we, we both gave ourselves mm -hmm. intelligence awards just five minutes ago on this podcast. Like, we just keep Congrats. winning. Keep Congrats. Winning. <laughs> no, we're, we're the winner of the Pinochle Award for Best Financial Services Podcast. Correct, correct. So Ben, not to go back too far, to, but yeah. I, I thought when I, when I read your blog, the fact that this all sort of kicked off in 1999, yeah. the Prince song, I thought that was pretty interesting that this has been going on for so long because I think most people think of market data and people arguing about the exchange costs being yeah. high, blah, 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 blah is only going on in like the last, call it, five to 10 years on, on the long tail. What kicked this off was an SEC concept release. Can you touch upon that really quick? Because it sort of lays the groundwork for this whole debate. Yeah, sure. And, you know, I, I had to stop the, 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 the timeline somewhere. Somebody could argue Macadaya has been a topic since the beginning of, you know, data is very important in markets, obviously. And in the US, it's been a long time that the SEC has been wanting for the public to have access to data and for data to play an important role in, in the national market system. But in, in 1999, the SEC put out this concept release, which was wide ranging. And I think it was born of two concerns. Uh, one of them was they could see trends towards the transition of exchanges to private companies. And they were wondering about the impact of that on market data. And two, they were concerned about prices of data for retail. And so, you know, they, they wrote this very lengthy concept release. There were a lot of comments. There were a lot of debates. It didn't lead to any concrete action at the time. But since then, you know, the market data wars have been raging without interruption. Well, it was, it was a big issue back then. But of course, back then, really, the only market data of significance was were the SIP data feeds. So people were arguing over kind of the cost of SIP data feeds and how were they distributed and et cetera, et cetera. And then I take, I take it things really kicked into another gear once exchanges started learning how to commercialize their proprietary data feeds and make them faster and better than the SIP feeds. Right. That's Absolutely. right. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's something that the concept release was kind of forcing. So even though at the time, yeah, market data was mostly the public type, you know, they could see that those kind of private feed questions were going to come up and, and they want to make sure that they had some, some framework in place for that. It's probably worth just for those listeners that don't, you know, fully understand what market data is, because it is a hot topic in our industry, is now what you have is all exchanges have their own proprietary data feeds. 
And what those data feeds provide to the industry is just quotes, you know, people's willingness to buy and sell, as well as trades that just occurred. And then it gets far more complicated than that. But when we're talking market data, that's what we mean. And there's been a, you know, what I would say about Ben's blog is great because I, for one, are not the type of guy who's going to read 10 academic or research reports. But what Ben did is summarize them and sort of paragraph for each. So we can kind of fly through a bunch of these. And the one that jumped out on me because it's, it's been talked about quite a bit for the past couple of years is our platform theory. And mm-hmm. I'll let Ben talk about that. But just again, for those listeners uh, to understand on market data, the exchanges charge for their market data fees. And there's some in the industry, not picking sides just yet, although John can, yeah. charge just crazy fees for these market data fees. And as a result of that, some of the defense from the exchanges charging these high fees have come out and they've argued for platform theory that charging for these fees uh, aligns with just running a stock exchange. So Ben, would you, would you touch upon you know platform theory from an economist standpoint as it relates to that? And, and, and what, what the exchanges mean by that, if it's even yeah. clear what they mean by it. Does my question yeah. even make sense? It, it's it, perfect sense, Ronan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Once you. again. Yeah. It does. It does. You're, you're jumping right in, though. That's probably like <laughs> platform theory has been a source of, of confusion, you know, in the market that wars, because the same name, platform theory or platforms, has been used for two different concepts. And these two concepts have widely different implications when you look at the state of competition and prices and margins and stuff like that. The first concept is the concept of a multi-product platform. And that's what NASDAQ has been arguing for a long time. Uh, as a business, they are selling you know, two things, uh, trading services and market data. And they should be free you know, to kind of choose, make pricing decisions jointly based on those two businesses. That's an old NASDAQ argument. And you know, the, the expression platform is not standout in kind of the economic literature for that concept, but it's become a thing in US equities. I see. Now, the other thing, the other concept is something that was in the news, you know, much more broadly than US equities since a few years ago. That was a Supreme Court decision in the Ohio versus American Express case. And that's, you know, the platforms there are what people call multi-sided platforms. And those are firms that offer a platform where two groups of, of customers interact and this is a very controversial theory, like whether you can use that to do antitrust analysis, you know, has been very controversial. And the Supreme Court decided in the ultimate decision in 2018 that you could. And since then, the exchanges also have been trying to kind of lean on this theory to justify the pricing so, decisions. So just to draw that out a little bit in the American Express case that you mentioned. So there yeah. you're talking about... A, uh, the argument being that you've got a, a company where, that has a platform where they're providing services to one type of yeah. user merchants, card merchants on one side, and then on the other side, card users, who are obviously a very different kind of constituency, and the interaction between those that, two things. Right? That's right. And, and the, the merchants uh, you know, were unhappy because American Express was using, in that contract, they said you cannot try to get your customers to use something else than American Express. And that should be anti-competitive. American Express said, no, no, but you have to look at our business as a whole thing. And you have to look at the consequence of those clauses on what we can offer to the other side of the platform, our customers, you know, charging fees 
and constraining merchants allows us to offer high quality of service to customers. And in the eventual, in the ultimate analysis, that's what the courts should recognize. And the Supreme Court said, this is a valid argument. You have right. to look at the thing as a whole and take into account the impact on consumers as well. So the exchanges use platform theory, uh, but they're not really talking about that. They're basically saying we provide execution services and we provide market data services, but they're really providing them to the same people on either end, right? So it's a different kind of argument. Yes. Yeah, especially in the old like Nasdaq flavor, the multi the multi product platform theory of you know 208 and, and after definitely. Now, more recently, in the wake of the uh, Ohio versus American Express decision, exchanges have been trying to explain how you could conceive of their businesses as as a multi sided platform. And so that there's a recent report. You know, this is this is the the, the uh, report number nine in the blog uh, that Nazi filed to to argue in favor of a new fee on their national exchange and this is pending and this is this is one of the most active current battlefronts of the market wars the fee has been you know filed suspended by the sec refiled under a different name suspended again and the sec just issued a, a request for additional information which is a very rare procedural thing to do for the sec so this is a very current topic Ronan, you're about to, I can see you're straining to ask a question here. All right. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just going to say, just for those that Ben, when Ben says NYSE, because I say it all the time, it's the New York Stock Exchange, and they actually own five exchanges, one of which is the old National Exchange, National Stock Exchange. And what Ben's referring to is that, yeah, there has been a little bit back and forth, tit for tat between NYSE and <laughs> bit, <the> SEC <laughs> around exchanges as a platform, particularly on this one. So this is sort of what's brought the whole... Yeah platform theory, whether defined incorrectly, Ben, from an economist standpoint, to exchanges as platforms to sort of the, the, the forefront. Can I make an editorial comment now oh, on, please. on this one? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so the, the exchange argument that Ben's talking about, kind of as I understand it, is this idea that because we're providing all of these different products to different people, that the two sides interact so that people are really choosing exchanges based on the total cost of all of these products and services and then making decisions about whether they send orders to one exchange or another based on what the total cost is. More or less, that's basically their argument, I guess. I mean, it, that was the classical argument, kind of the, the multi-product platform theory argument from, from you know, the early 2000. They've been trying to reframe it, I, I would argue, you know, just, just because they know they have this theory they can lean on. So now it's going to look a little different. Maybe it's going to boil down still to the fact that they should be free to make a global pricing decision, but the mechanisms or the argument, the underlying arguments are different. And you know, they are. we'll see, yeah. Here's the thing I find goofy about the argument. So NASDAQ put out this statement that then one of the other exchanges was relying upon in trying to justify some of their fees. And basically, as I read it, they basically said, look, exchanges are like gyms, gym memberships, right? Gyms charge a basic membership fee, then they may charge an additional fee for lockers, they may charge a, a fee for individual training sessions, various, all these kinds of things. And then people choose based on the total cost of all of the things that they need, whether they go to, you know, sort of whether they choose one gym versus another. Which, so the SEC, when they had to consider that argument, um, put out a decision, which I basically read as saying, you know, it seems to me 
NASDAQ kind of has a dim-witted view that its, its audience is fairly dim-witted in, in terms of spotting logical fallacies. So the SEC Ouch. basically said, just not to state the obvious, but exchanges are not gyms. People generally don't yeah. join more than one gym, right? And there's all kinds of reasons why traders have to be members of multiple exchanges, including things like best execution and something called the order protection rule. Yeah. And you don't have the choice to just turn off one exchange. Sorry, I get very exercised about this, as you can tell. And I've, and I've been... Exercise yeah. parallel with Jim, you know? Very good yeah, there, you're good one. Yeah, I don't exercise <laughs> much, but I get worked up. And, and so that's, that's a great point. And, and, you know, about exchanges not being Jim, I think marginally, the question of whether the market or market is competitive is a good question. You could you could look at it from just a general antitrust perspective as any other market. But of course, it's not any other market. You have the Securities Exchange Act. There are other standards in the Securities Exchange Act. And so ultimately, you know, the SEC and the industry in general have to find reasons why they have to, cons to take into account considerations beyond just competitive things. And, you know, we've been talking about 10 minutes, this platform theory questions are very high bro you can debate them for years and years quotes make decision you know after 10 year long proceedings it's very expensive it's very random i think we have to you know keep in mind that we shouldn't only debate that but we should also think about other principles you know like price formation investor protection competition things like that yeah, before we, we, I'd like to talk about number 10 in a minute, like SIFMA. We'll explain what SIFMA is and why they feel the way they do. But it, I, I think it's interesting, you know, for the listeners to explain, like, why the hell does this even matter? Like, why are we talking about market data? And yeah. there was a conference, market data conference that the SEC hosted about a year and a half ago. And one of the exchange execs, he's no longer there, was Chris Kincannon from CBOE. He said, well, you know, he tried to equate it to this is an argument between like BMW drivers and Range Rover drivers. And basically he's just saying, you know, rich exchanges and rich brokers. Why, why does this matter? And that, that's just sort of deflecting the argument. When you really think about it, why does this matter? Is because the brokers who SIFMA represent, represent buy side clients who represent investors and pensions and cost trickles down, guys. It, the more that the brokers get squeezed from the exchanges, Everyone in this capitalist environment that we live in that's totally fine has to make a little bit of money. And the more you squeeze, you know, one part of the chain, it causes costs to go down. So that's why this really, really matters. So Ben's last one, number 10, I talked about SIFMA. And SIFMA is a, I don't even know what SIFMA stands for now. <laughs> Do you know what it stands for, Ben? I know it represents no. a bunch of brokers. The Securities Industry Financial Markets Association. I don't know. But but you did remember the acronym so very well. You yeah. won an award for that as well. This is yeah. awards, awards all, all awards. show. Yeah. Two oh. awards. But yeah, Ben, could you touch upon their argument back at the exchanges, please? Exactly. Sure. And you know, this is still an argument that yet another new argument that has been made in the same lazy national, you know, rule of filing that is disputed now. And that argument says well, no, the right way to think about the market for market data is that a given broker looks at all the exchanges and decides whether to buy all the market data from all of them or not. It's kind of one decision. And then you kind of work out the implications of this, of this assumption. And it, you end up in a situation where prices are very high, they should be regulated, there's market power. And it's even worse than that. Prices in a situation where you have 
several exchange groups, like in the US, prices are even higher than if you only had one exchange group making separate pricing decisions for the 13 exchanges. So it's what, what the paper calls supra-competitive, supra-monopoly prices. So it's just, it, it's another argument. I think it has, has teeth. It, it's a valid argument, but I also think, like I said before, you know, it's just theoretical framework number four. And at some point, I think, you know, throwing at each other theoretical framework will have limitations. Tell me if you, if, if you agree with this. It seems to me one of the, the long threads running through this entire period from you know, 2005 up to the present is a basic question uh, of does market competition and competition between exchanges help to keep the prices of market data down because exchanges are competing with each other in, in different kinds of ways. So talk a little bit about that and what the SEC's view of that argument has been, maybe what, what its view is now. Okay, so it, there's a couple of questions there. On the, on the first thing, you know, whether the debate has been mostly about, you know, is the market for market data competitive? I think that's right, but I think it goes beyond that. You know, as I, as I was saying before, there are things beyond whether it is competitive. Let me take an example. In 2011, NASDAQ tried to tie price of market data products to the volume of trading that you know, some of their customers were doing. The details are in the blog. It doesn't matter very much, but it was a new type of thing because you know, up to that point, the pricing of trading and the pricing of market data were distinct. And at that point of time, the SEC decided against it and I think it did because it thought that you know the Securities Exchange Act standards would weren't compatible with such kind of cross subsidization ideas, and I think you would not reach the same conclusions if you were yogurts. If you were, if you were what? Yogurts, yogurts, yogurts. The, the yogurts. Yes. Oh, okay. There we go. Yogurts, yogurts. Any any other any other thing you know th- things that things of daily life that don't have the importance for. Bully. Uh, uh, for the public that that <laughs> <laughs> that that equity markets do uh, so uh, you know Ronan you mentioned the trickle down effects of of high prices to consumers I will go even further you know like robust prices public prices these are these are public goods for for everybody in 2005 it was net coalition who fought the first against these high prices and, you know, many members of Net Coalition were uh, firms like Google, Yahoo, and because they wanted to be able to show prices and information and data to the public. And I think this intuition is very good. No, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And then, as probably most listeners know, uh, believe it or not, you can actually sue your regulators. But there was, uh, you know, there was a decision made recently in the transaction fee pilot where the exchanges sued the SEC. But also... It was a decision made around market data, Ben. Can you touch upon that? I, I don't believe that was in any of the blog papers. Yes. I, I mean, I, I briefly touched upon it. Uh, yeah, I can, I, can, I can say a little bit about this and also answer John's other question from before. Over the, over the 20 years, the SEC position changed. Initially, the SEC approved you know, one of the first market data fee, which was a product called Archibook in 2006. And CIFMA and, and Net Coalition petitioned you know, against the SEC. 
and the DC Circuit sided against the SEC with SIFMAN at coalition. Now, fast forward to you know, more recent times. So, and and the and to be clear, the SEC in that case basically bought the idea that competition, the exchange's idea that competition was helping to keep the prices of fees down. Exactly, exactly. And then you know, fast forward seven years later, Archibook was refiled just the exact same fee uh, under a different name in 2010. And there were procedural changes because of Dodd-Frank. And that meant that the SEC did not have to approve affirmatively. And so they did nothing. And so it came into effect. And then everybody, people didn't know what was the right way to appeal. And, you know, there's a long story there, but eventually it was appealed in front of the SEC. The SEC changed sides. So they agreed that they agreed with SIFMA that Archibook was too expensive and, and that the price was not constrained by competition anymore. So that decision uh, was in 2018 by the SEC and it was appealed at the time by the exchanges in front of the DC Circuit Court. And the June uh, decision one month ago was the DC Circuit Court finding in favor of the exchanges and against the SEC. Uh, so the SEC decision was overturned and went back to square one 14 years after the initial fee was filed. But to be clear, the SEC still has the authority to review every market data filing that the exchanges come up with and to make a decision about whether the exchanges have proved that the filings are consistent with the act, right? So, so the burden is on the exchanges to yeah. prove it. So this court decision, I take it, doesn't mean that the SEC doesn't have authority to continue to do that and to, to reject filings that it thinks don't pass the test. Definitely not. Totally agree. And also, it was the decision was on procedural ground, and the courts didn't say anything about you know the market for market data and competition. So we, you know we we spent many years, but we did not advance on these questions very much. So for those of you interested in reading Ben's blogs, you can reach it in many different ways. One is go to ixtrading.com and there's a link there to boxes and lines. You can also go to medium.com slash boxes dash and dash lines. Medium.com slash boxes dash and dash lines. And like, like I said, it's a, it does, it's a really good timeline analysis over like 21, 22 years. And I think it's a fantastic read. So on to a different topic, Ben, and a topic that we ask every guest who joins us here on Boxes and Lines. You want to ask, John? Uh, yeah. What's your favorite Wall Street movie? Is that the one? That's yeah, a question. That's the one. Yeah. Good job. Well okay, done. Thank you. So it is actually a hummingbird. Have you guys seen that? Hummingbird. That's oh, is that the Hummingbird Project? Oh, yeah, the Hummingbird Project, oh, that one. <laughs> yeah. That one was kind of goofy, I thought. Didn't you? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You like that one? I like that one. I think it is the only one that captures some of you know today's markets. I think the, old, the classics tell something about yesterday's market. I'm sure yeah, there is some truth in today's market from yesterday's uh -huh. market. But Hummingbird, you know, about this kind of building this straight line from Kansas City to New York City through mountains right. and national parks <laughs> and private <laughs> backyards. Uh, I think like tunneling really, through the mountains so yes. you have the straightest line. Yes. Oh, shit. Yes. I think the, the movie is better than the trailer 
makes it to be the trailer it sounds like it's a it's very good have you have you only watched the trailer john you say it's goofy so the trailer no, is no 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 i watched the whole thing i came to my i i i it's a considered opinion but you know it was entertaining yeah way. it wasn't supremely accurate but it was interesting i actually thought i mean there's no kansas city exchange but it was definitely a play on spread networks and what happened between New York and Chicago and the reason it, was the same yes there are yeah, the future is exchanged in Kansas like I'm, I'm not sure there were ever like straight lines but definitely there are exchanges in Kansas City but regardless of the quality <laughs> of the movie it was a unique and out-of-the-box response which we have to give you credit for yeah that yeah, was a I, backhanded compliment if I've ever heard one <laughs> Besides the fact no. that I thought it was total shite. Well done, Too? Ben. You know, ding, 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 ding. ding ben ding, gets ding. a pair of transparency socks. And also... I highly recommend the movie. I don't care. <laughs> ben is soon to be a first-time father, so we must get our Marcoms team to uh, get, you know, order some baby socks, baby IEX socks. We would love them. Thank you. <laughs> that and is now, very exciting. Now you have to deliver one, and you know that, right? Like, I'm, I'm expecting them. Well, no, I put it on Marcoms to do, so there you go. <laughs> I expect your, your baby will be very smart, and you will be a very good father, and it's yeah. a really great, great. You're still trying to make up for making fun of I'm his do, You know, I'm doing my best. Give me yeah, a, a freaking break, Ronan. I'll take, good. It. I'll take you, John. Thank you. <laughs> well, that. once again, everyone, please do take a read of Ben's blog. Very interesting stuff, and it will give you, very you know, well a, written. A, a timeline basis as to why people talk about market data all the time and why it's important. And we appreciate you joining us on Boxes and Lines. Boxes and Lines. Thank you. Over and out. Thanks, guys. See God bless. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only. And IEX Group, Inc. and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversations may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group, Inc. All rights reserved.